0: You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. All right, James, it is a late May edition of the Leaf Report podcast brought to you by Babstocks. Good day. Can you believe it's June tomorrow? Well, the weather actually feels like it. It's amazing when you wake up and it's sunny. You can see why players want to play in, like, L.A. or Anaheim or Florida. Yeah, because our weather sucks here. (laughs) You know, like when you go on these road trips and you go to some of these places, like you go to Tampa and you wake up and like, if you're a player, like you could just put on shorts and flip flops, go to the rink, two hours of practice and then go play golf. Whereas like if you play in Toronto, you got to like muck through the snow, the roads suck and then there's like nothing you can do. You can go home and play all these video games that all the players play.
1: I was talking to a friend of mine who had been living over in the Middle East for like the last eight years, and he just moved with his family uh, to Ottawa. And he was saying how hard of a transition it's been for them after like being in like super warm weather, like like really warm weather all the time for eight years, and then living in Ottawa, which has even worse weather than Toronto. And yeah, it's just I found living in I've been in Toronto 15 years. I have found it hard living here because the winter is so much worse than Kamloops, BC
0: but the big thing is toronto in the summer is, is amazing
1: yeah yeah like But there's
0: nothing like the city when it's like alive and it's hot and it's nice there's just so much to do but do you think
1: it's like that just because we're so desperate for those like three months that for we're, sure so like if if the summer was five months long
0: then like or if like you lived in california and it was sunny the whole year
1: yeah well i was just in california because i went to the head office and san francisco was colder than it is here so the one thing i don't like about northern california is that it like especially on the water in San Francisco, it doesn't get like I like it hot. It doesn't get that hot.
0: I think San Francisco is kind of perfect because it, it there's no winter, but it, it's not crazy hot all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's I don't know. I don't like like it's.
1: It was almost like it was cold there. It was like ten degrees at night and whatever. And there are and there are a lot of homeless people there. I think we're going in the wrong direction. On
0: we should do like or you should get someone. I don't know if it's me or you or someone. Someone at the athletic should do, like, a livability rankings for the NHL. Although, I think you'd piss off some fan bases, so maybe you shouldn't do that. Well, yeah. I mean, where w- the- Like, where would be number one? It would probably be, like, LA. Yeah. San Jose. Well,
1: I know they like LA because they live in, like, Manhattan Beach and whatever. And, and it's spectacular. Yeah, because that practice... Re- well, I mean, there are some things people don't like about LA, like traffic and... I think Tampa would be really high on my list. I really like it there. You could get a cool place on the water. You, you know, I,
0: yeah, I think it would be a little cheaper to live there, but it's
1: it's Florida. Right, and there's a lot more going on in L.A. if you're like a 20-something player. And then on the bottom end, it's like... Don't say it. All the cold, pla- <laughs> the cold places. Yes. It's, it's nice to see... Uh, a team like winnipeg have success with the draft and those players like really like buy into the organization and like it seems like they genuinely like being there and well do you know what do you know what it
0: is if you win it's okay you can get players right right and that's what like you look at toronto's one example but like a lot of bad franchises like they don't win so they attract players I don't know, I guess this, that doesn't totally make sense because free agency, usually the teams that are spending big aren't that good. And So what, what I was going to say is that um, I was reading, there was a piece I read uh,
1: by a young writer, his name Chase McCallum, I think is his name. He was writing about where do you get star players? Like how do you find them in the NHL? Mm-hmm. And he broke it down into draft, trade, free agency. And free agency, which is when the players pick where they want to go, it was only 7% of like the elite players are acquired through uh, free agency anymore. So that has become way less of a path to getting stars and, and winning as it used to be and the draft was something like 74% of star players are found through it it was something like it was like a really high number. Mm. So if you're a Winnipeg or Edmonton or Buffalo, I mean Buffalo gets Rasmus Dalin and you know or Eichel. I mean you can you can keep those guys and it's not so much about weather. I think it's more about how competitive the team
0: is, but do you think that's a good thing? Like that the NHL, like basically when most of the guys in unrestricted free agency, you're getting after their peak or right at the end of their peak. Like Tavares is going to be an exception because he's still, I think he's 26. I think he's um, 28, but I don't think it, at, you can check it. I think at max he's 27 because he was a year younger than Stamkos was when he was UFA. Um, But I wonder what the NHL would be like if there were more guys available. Like, contracts were shorter. How old is he? 27. 28. So he'll be 28 in September. Um, But, like, what do you think the NHL would be like if the contracts were shorter? And, like, in the NBA, good players are available in their primes all the time in unrestricted free agency. Whereas the NHL, like, Tavares is, like a unicorn it doesn't happen so is that because of contract term limit or
1: is that because players don't want to be logged in for a super long time
0: they change the contracts it's four and five so like that's you can only you can that's the max yeah. you can do and like that's going to come to the nhl at some point point. and i just think it would make the league so much more interesting because like you'd have players who are good in their peaks available so i wrote this is going to see into our um
1: our one of our first topics um I talk to a lot of agents and some front offices about how do you decide whether you do a bridge deal or how do you decide if you do a long-term contract with a player right out of their entry-level deal, so when they're 21 or 22 years old, and they're a really talented player. How do you decide if you give them seven or eight years or if you give them two or three? And you saw my Nylander piece. I kind of looked through, here's the comparables for Neilander that got long-term deals. Here's the comparables for, for Nelander that got bridge deals. And some of the reasons why they got bridge deals, and some of the reasons why they got long-term deals, and it was it was actually really interesting listening to the reasoning from agents about it because, like, like if you're a Neilander or name any player that's that's coming into the end of their of their their entry level contract, it to make the most money, it probably makes sense to sign a short-term deal. Mm-hmm. Like, you should probably sign like a two or a three-year deal because you're gonna by the time you get to let's say you're 22, like Neilander you just say you sign a three-year deal, Kucherov's a good example, Panarin's a good example, uh, by the time Nylander gets to 25, his body of work, the seasons that he has had, are probably going to be really, really good, and he's going to be able to earn a lot more than he would if he signed seven or eight years right now, so if you're just trying to make the most money and you're not worried about the risk of potentially getting hurt, you probably should just take short-term deals as a
0: player. Well, because like you're going to do, in theory, two contracts, Like you're going to do... If you did a long-term deal, let's say seven years, eight years. It's going to take you to 30. And then you'll do a three- or four-year contract. So what's going to get you more money if you do the short contract up front and then the long contract after or vice versa? And like exactly the way you said it. But couldn't you make the case for bridge and long-term deal that you can make the same argument for both? Like you could make the argument by giving him a bridge deal. Yeah, we don't really know how good he is, so we're going to go short just to kind of hedge our bets a little bit. But you could also say with a long-term deal, yeah, we're going to go long because we're going to kind of gamble. We don't know how good he is, but if he is really good, this is going to be a home run for us. And like you've seen a lot of teams, at least in the last couple years, basically go that model. And like like Victor Rask come to mind in Carolina. They signed him for a long deal after. And he's just okay. He's just but like they're trying to like hit like the Leafs did it to some degree with Jake Gardner, where it's like you're just you're hoping to kind of hit a home run. Like, do you think there's any? conclusive way to go i mean the teams
1: you have to evaluate the player what you have in them as well as you can like the shifley contract is awesome barkov like i was looking at the barkov one and it's like they signed him so early he had only played i think he only played 100 games in the nhl he signed in mid-season january i think like you know uh, yeah Anyway, it's like five point nine. I right, think. it's five point nine, and he—you can make the argument that he's one of the best ten to fifteen players in the league. I right, think,
0: and, I so, think. and so like you, you compare him to Matthews. Matthews is going to get double. Right, that's how good a contract it is. Right, exactly, and
1: Shifley's the same way too. And like Shifley was probably a Hart Trophy candidate or pretty right. close to it, and a Conn Smythe candidate if they would have went to the final. So, one of the questions I got—I I put out a, a mailbag discussion forum for people to submit questions if people want to go on on theathletic.com um one of the questions someone asked me was would you rather have shifley's contract with what he makes or the contract that matthews didn't get with, with what he makes and it's like man but what what that shows is that the earlier you jump on it the better i mean but in the leafs case they can't they couldn't jump on marner and matthews any earlier than they like they can't mm-hmm. sign
0: them an extension until july 1 so well they could have done it with neander Yes. Although we don't... Well, actually, we do know that they could have done it. Like, he would have done it, I think, last summer. Like, he was open to it from the sounds of it. Right. And they probably... They, I don't know. It's he hard He probably to say. could save a little bit. Like, if they had... Well, I don't know. Like, if let's say... What's saving? So, like, if they had offered him five by seven, he probably says no. So, what seven are you saving? Million now? a year? Or no, five no, no, no. million a year? Five million a he, year. He would say no. Yeah. I so, think like, with all you, of...
1: I find with these things, I like to... I think you have to know the team... And know how the way that they're thinking, mm-hmm. which is harder to do with the Leafs given it's the front office has turned over and we haven't really seen them operate. And you have to know, but I have some ideas on that that we can get into. And you have to know the agent to the extent that you can. And the best way you can know the agent, uh, Nylander's agent, Louis Gross, does not really talk to the media, so it's hard to get to know him. But the, we can get to know him through his negotiations that he's had in the past. Mm-hmm. Johnny Goodrow was one. He held out all, of, missed all of training camp, uh, held out until... Two days uh, before the season started, and he got a lot. He got. Did he get over seven? No, he got six, seven, five. Okay. But he had only played. I think he had only played two seasons. He burned the first year of his entry level deal by playing one game. I think mm-hmm. he had like. I'm pretty sure he. I think he, he left college. I think left college early. Played one NHL game that burned the first year. Then he played two seasons. He had a big final year, uh, and um, he had he had pretty close to a point a game in his his two entry level seasons that he played. It was. He was so he earned more, I would say, than Neilander probably. He was also older. Yes, right. But that doesn't come into account like well, I mean maybe it does in some respects, but like if you're looking at comparables, they don't I don't know. And the Pasternak one is really interesting too, because he had two really weak first seasons in terms of production and then one really big year in the last year of his entry level deal. Um and that's when and then so he signed a contract for 6.66 by six
0: years and it was in the fall before this year yes right and then he he it hit, he hit a massive yeah. year right. but so like from writing the story and if anybody hasn't seen it go to the athletic and look it up um and subscribe and subscribe james will give you a discount if you contact 40 percent off if you send me a tweet did you kind of come to any conclusion as to what you think They'll do or what kind of number you think they'll be able to get him at or like or even the structure of the contract is best. Like I think you had wrote earlier in the year that you thought the long term deal was the way to go. I agree with that. But what do you think? So the
1: problem with the long term deal that I hit on is that to get to seven or eight years, you're going to have to go much higher on the cap hit.
0: That's that's the reality. So because think, if you're Neander's camp, you're going to be like, yes. you're paying us for when we're good. We're going to be really good. You're, you better you're pay you're us. Taking a whole
1: bunch of his UFA years. Whereas if you like, the Leafs are probably only going to be comfortable buying two, maybe only one. So Neilander has four more years where he's RFA. I think the options for the Leafs are either a three-year deal like Kucherov, and you and you figure he's going to be. The other thing with Neilander that stuck stands out to me is that you can't pay everybody like they're your best player. Like, you can't—the I, so I, Leafs— What does that mean? Like, they probably look at this and, like, okay, Matthews is going to get a massive number. Marner's probably going to get a massive number. We can't give everyone a massive number. And I think to get Nealander signed for seven or eight years, it's going to be a big number. It's going to be, like, seven. Seven plus. So the question is, like—
0: But that's okay. Like, I mean, like, Pastor Neck signs his before this past year. Cap continues to rise. Yeah, I don't know. Is seven that bad? And, and let me ask you this as a follow-up. Why does Neander automatically get less than Marner? The numbers aren't that different.
1: That's going to be the internal evaluation that they make over. I wonder, I kind of think based on that what they try with Neander is like a five or a six year deal around like six million.
0: I think that would be a win. Yeah. But, but, but. but. But he becomes UFA. Like and a- he's going to get paid. Right.
1: And he can also leave. But you got him for five or six years. That gives you a lot of time to know what is this player. He's going to be 27 or 28 years old. You're going to know exactly what he is. I wouldn't do that if I was
0: Neander. I wouldn't do six by six or something. I'd want. I don't... Would you? The thing is, is that if you get that contract
1: that I think, that I think... Like, if, if I'm, I'm the owner, I'm going to outperform that in a year or two. But if you're, yeah, if you're a robot, you're like, but if you're a person, it's like, here's $36 million. You are set up the rest of your life. You're going to be cra- He's set
0: up already. Isn't you're he? going to
1: be crazy from his entry level deal. Not really. From his dad. Like, I mean, the family. I don't know. Well, I, they had, don't they have like six kids or whatever? I yeah, mean, I don't know.
0: It's hard to obviously know anyone's family situation, but yeah.
1: Anyway, so like talking this through with a bunch of agents, it was really interesting. And like, some of them were like. One agent described it to me as like, get get them enough money on that second contract that it's like they're set for life, no matter what happens. But don't sign them so long that the third contract is inconsequential.
0: Right, like, like these guys who come to UFA, and they're thirty one. Right. 32. Like the problem with
1: jumping in with an eight year deal, if you're not Matt, like if you're Matthews, it's like, okay, you're getting like some crazy, uh, or you're McDavid, you're getting, or,
0: or, well, and you could even make a case with those guys that it would be better to take short term deals and just keep cashing in. That's what, that's what LeBron does in the NBA. He just does like one, and Kevin Durant, they just do like one and two year deals. And then they just keep getting more on each deal. But they're heinously rich already. Like if, like if he has, a, if LeBron has a career-ending injury, he's gonna
1: be, he's still gonna be able to... But
0: I'm saying, like, so McDavid, I don't know, I get, he would sign. I guess it would be a four-year, like whatever. To UFA, no how many will, years? No
1: team will sign a four-year deal after entry level because no team is gonna take you right to the doorstep. They're gonna either be like,
0: they're gonna do three or five. No one's doing four. Like, the, the, okay, so if McDavid did five by twelve. The next contract, what would be? Right. You know what I mean? Well, yeah,
1: it could be like eighteen, or well, who knows what we're at at that point. Yeah, the one of the advantages with going long for those guys is they you can massively front load the contract. Like if you do an eight year deal, you, the the first two years, like the first two years of McDavid are like fifteen million or whatever. Like so, he's getting a massive amount of money right up front, and you can't do that if you only do like a three year three year contract. Right. So they're like, if he did a three year contract for what do you say? 12 or I don't know. So anyway, this is the debate that agents are having is like, how do you work around this system? And so basically what the one agent explained to me is that maybe get like a five-year deal takes you to 27. You're still going to be in your prime. You're still going to be really good. And then your third contract is going to be, could be an eight-year deal. And then all of a sudden, you're, smart. yeah. And then all of a sudden you're getting signed for 13 years at pretty big money. So I, I, I could see Nielander's agent saying, well, you know what? Like, Let's do five years at six million, and I think the, the Leafs would be like that cap hit's like pretty reasonable. We can fit everything else around six million. I don't think that's enough. It might be like six point three or six point two or like the Pasternak had a better final season of his entry level yeah, deal than
0: Nylander's first three years in
1: some are better, but the final year is the most important for comparables by far. And he had, like, 34 goals. He had 70-some. He was 12th in NHL scoring the third year of, mm. of his deal, I think. Maybe even higher in points per game. So Pasternak, like, Nylander's year this past season, he was, what, like, 50th in scoring or something? Mm. Like, he wasn't 12th. Like, so Pasternak had quite an argument. Like, there is definitely an argument that Pasternak deserved more than Nylander. The question is, like, to what degree? Probably like what is a hundred percent fair for Neilander is like six point five by six, something like that. It's a really it's a hard negotiation. I think that with Pritham and and Gilman on board, they're gonna they're gonna push real hard the other way. The Leafs are gonna try hard with these guys to get the numbers down.
0: Well, why not go the full distance? Why not go eight? Because, like I said, if
1: do you see that one chart I put in there of like the more years you had, the higher the cap hit is. Like, yeah, and but like,
0: but, but I'm saying so. Okay, so you're saying six by six. Let's use it as an example. Let's say I want, I'll give you seven per, but I want eight years. Doesn't isn't that better for the team? Yeah. But the thing is,
1: the Neylander's side could be saying it's 7.5 or 7.3 or something. But isn't
0: that still better than, like, what you're going to have to sign him to on that next deal? Or do you not worry about Like, don't you have to worry about that? I don't know. I guess these are the debates. I don't know. You do have to worry about it. Because then I, the next one, when you're hopefully still competitive, what is he going to get? Nine? Like, I think the percentage higher between a six-year deal
1: and an eight-year deal based on the chart that i put together it was like 30 percent higher is what it was going to be so like it's a you get a lot more dollars if you go longer than five or six years and if you that's the like so that's the thing like he's
0: not going to take six and a half million over eight years or over seven years like there's no chance that's going to happen because they know the upside but then maybe it makes sense for the Leafs to go seven and a half by eight and just m- try to maximize. Do you think it does? Like we, I don't know. We like, don't I'm know how good Nielsen is, is yet.
1: I think that that makes sense for Matthews because I think Matthews like 100% you know what he's going to be. Okay, so do you think it's, it makes sense for Marner? Maybe. Depending on what the number is. Like I could see Marner's side saying, you know, like over the second half of last year, he was one of the top 13
0: scorers in the well, league or whatever. And Eichel got 10. Right. Dreisaitl got eight and a half. Right. He's, his numbers are the same basically. Right. So I did. I did the deep dive on Nealander. I want
1: to do it for Matthews and and Marner. So people just have to wait. It, it, those are really time consuming. Like, I, people don't realize. Don't, I talked to a lot of people for that story. Like, I wanted it to be. I want to have a good grounding in what, maybe not what Nealander's agent's thinking, but what other agents think of what you do in the Nealander situation. I think the Leafs are gonna. I think you. What you do is you go in with two ideas. If we can get them. For six or seven years at around six million, then we do that, and if we can't, then we're looking at bridge options. And you have an idea for what the bridge number would be? Well, what would a bridge? Four and a half, five? No, that's what Kucherov got, and his numbers were way better.
0: I think he got four. Yeah, four, he had over four, thirty five. goals.
1: He had twenty-nine and thirty goals in his two seasons before the end of the entry level. He got four, six, seven, or something like that. So that the cap's going up. So Neelander, like based on the Kucherov deal, would yeah, slot. But-
0: so, like, you can go two ways with whether that deal was good or not. In the good way, well, no, it was bad. It was bad, but they, it, was, they had wa- to. it was and It wasn't. They like, it wasn't. it didn't a choice. It allowed them to be hyper competitive for those that stretch. But you know the difference between the Leafs and the Lightning, right? What's that? The difference is the Lightning are like
1: must win right now mode, and the Leafs aren't there. Aren't one hundred percent there yet? So, like, the Lightning can sacrifice their future in four years for right now because they're in there right now. I don't know if the Leafs are there yet. Hmm. It's a really hard... Like, so, if the Leafs bridge Neilander, Some fans were arguing in the comments they need to bridge him because of how bad his playoff year was and they don't quite believe in him and whatever. If they bridge him at, let's say, 4.9 for three years, I think it would be something like that, or whatever. 4.9 for three years, let's say that they do that. He's up in three years at 25 years old. He's probably had a couple of 70 point seasons in those three years. The good thing is, is you know, that he's a 70 point player. The bad thing is, is that he can ask for $9 million.
0: He's also RFA.
1: Yes. And there's arbitration and there's.
0: Well, but then maybe at that point, uh, I don't know. Like then at that point, you're going, let's say, nine per for seven years. Right. It takes him right to the end of when he probably would be. It takes him to 32.
1: Right. And the cap is going to be higher,
0: so you have a little bit more money to play with, but you're also
1: going to have... Dermott's going to need a contract then. Like, there's going to be... Well, a- you're
0: buying yourself short-term flexibility, like a couple million per year, Like, basically.
1: realistically, if they do bridge deals on Marner and Nylander, and they both perform the way they are, they, they can't keep all three if they do bridge deals on, on both those guys. Like, I don't I-
0: think that makes sense. I don't like to... If it's going to be... Bridging one of them, I think, is okay, but... Even still, though, like, if you're going to bridge him let's use your example three years 4.9 and we're saying the other option potentially like is six and six, half or whatever. six and a half by six what like why to save a million and a half per year like yeah exactly to that's why be- i
1: think the most likely outcome is somewhere between a bridge and an eight-year deal that's why i think they end up at five or six hmm. but uh, this could be a holdout like this could Easily. And the other thing, too, the Leafs need to worry about is if there's a potential offer sheet, because I think that Nealander could easily get an offer sheet. and the, He could easily get one for like six and a half by seven or whatever. And you sign it tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He could, maybe he could get one even, I don't know. The Leafs just probably shouldn't fart around too much on this. But I, it's, it, I think this is going to be a really hard negotiation, whereas I think the Matthews one is probably easier.
0: Do we think that they'll do the like? We think the Matthews one will happen, whenever this summer. summer. But what about Marner? Because if anybody,
1: there will be discussions about it. They they will they will look into what it what it looks like. Like the thing with Marner that you worry about is that next year you could have eighty points.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly (laughs) could. If he kept up what he did in the second half, he's he's a top ten, top fifteen. He's scorer. going to be
1: driving the first power play unit again, like probably even more than with JVR. And you can just see Marner. It's it's almost like his hockey mind is figuring out what the league, like every month or so. And he's just so good with the puck. Like he looks like those guys, like Kucherov and Panarin, and
0: he looks like Kane
1: Light or whatever.
0: Yeah, he really does that's who he that's, the, What's interesting that's is his like, idol on the ice we think of like it's funny that we kind of have now grown to think of Marner being a little different that way than Neander like we still have this like unknown about Neander which is very legitimate because like I have no idea how good he can be I think he can be I think he could be like
1: a right yeah yeah I think that that's what it is I think that the, the degree of certainty over them being a superstar in the NHL is Marner is higher
0: than Neander, and I maybe, but maybe but, that's but,
1: recency bias that Kyle Dubas talks about. It certainly
0: is. Well, it sort of is. But like, I could also see a world where Neander gets to a point where he's a star too, and maybe he's better, oh, than, where 100%, he's better than Marner. A hundred percent. His his tools are like like he makes plays that are well, unbelievable. He he's had, such a
1: great player to watch.
0: Well, and he has like some of Marner's passing ability. But he has a shot that Marner does not have. And he has... They're both dynamic players in very different ways. Yeah.
1: They both... It was interesting, the Bruins... uh, Fluto uh, at the Athletic did a great story after about who the Bruins were impressed with by the Leafs. And they all said Marner. All of them. Well, Well, if you watch that series, like Neilander was... But, like, the Bruins knew the Leafs. They had played played them four or five times a year every year, right? But... The fact that he impressed them even over the level of what they were expecting from him was interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you want to move on? Yeah, I think, I think that's... So does that make sense to you, like the, all the different options? There are basically three options. There's a bridge, there's somewhere in between, and then there's a long term. I don't think they're going to be able to get any 8-year deal done with Nylander. I don't think that... If, I that, think if I'm them, to, that's what I try to do. The team? Yep. I just think that the, I think that the agent and player will look at it and be like... We're, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. To...
0: I'm saying from the team perspective. If I'm the team, I'm trying to get them as long as I can.
1: What if it's eight by eight? <laughs> that's so. That's, that's what's going to happen. Is that they're going to like the push will be to make it too too hard to deal with. So I'm at the point where I would feel somewhat comfortable about a five or a six year deal because you are getting
0: that's quite a bit of term. Like what's you, weird is like I would be comfortable somewhere between seven and eight, but once you said eight, I'm just like, oh, jeez. But maybe that man, like, if he hits what he can be...
1: Well, I think you just play him on the power play. He only played 16 minutes a game last year, and he, he, he had, like, would he have 12 power play points? I mean, he's probably going to have, like, 23 power play points. But
0: that's the only difference. Like, if he had had normal power play production, he would have had 75, 70 yeah. points. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we're saying, like, he's he has better numbers than Kucherov and... But so, okay. So,
1: in, ...in the end of their entry-level deal. So
0: if he gets 75 points, isn't he worth an $8 million cap it right now? Yeah,
1: if he would have had a seventy, I know that's the thing is that that's what the Leafs need to be concerned about. With that's why I would be very scared of going with two or three year deal.
0: Can't do it. I know. I don't do think he
1: can do it. No.
0: But but the other argument is like for those three years, you're right. It though we really only save like
1: one and a half million over right. over a five or a six year. And deal. that's
0: not. I don't think that's enough. That's why I think the long. meeting place for them is in the middle. Six by whatever. Six
1: by six something. Six point three. That would be if I had to like if you put a gun to my head and said predict I would say like six by six point three or six point four or something like that.
0: Okay, let's write it down: six by <laughs> six point three. James we're Murdoch. Kinda, no, that's a good. They point. don't know where it's going to end up, like, but I think this is like exactly the kind of debate that they would have to have. Like yeah. there are pros and cons to everything. Right.
1: I, they probably look at that Nikolai Ehlers deal with the Jets and like that one. That's mm-hmm. six by six. But the thing is, is that Ehlers signed before his third season, right? So he had way less leverage than Nylander should have. And also, well, the, the cap is technically the same because their second contract starts in the same year. Anyway, people are probably tired of we're talking about this way too long. I think long. this is interesting. I think it's fascinating, but, I mean, we probably only have the nerds
0: and shut-ins that are left with us now. All right. Well, welcome with us if you're still with us. Uh, po- podcast is brought to you by Babsox. Let's talk. What do you want to talk about next? We got Marley's. We got the front office.
1: Let's talk about the front office.
0: Okay, so the Leafs bring in as their AGM, Lawrence Gilman. They promote Brandon Pridham to AGM as well. Uh, you wrote about this. I'll let you summarize like what you think sticks out about what these moves did to the front office under Kyle Dubas.
1: It's the beginning of Dubas making the Leafs very much his own, is what this is. Um, I was not surprised at all about Pridham. Um, I thought for sure well, not for sure. I thought I was like 90% sure that that was going to happen. Um, I even, I had it written in like some pieces I did in March and whatever that, that I could see Dubas and Pritam being the next generation of, of the front office that the Leafs have. And I, th- I think it's a good decision. I mean, everyone you talk to about Pritam ar- around the league and in the Leafs organization is super, super high on the guy. Um, and I think that at some point he's going to be a GM, you know, in, in the NHL. I think he'll be a GM of another team in like five years, four or five years. Hmm. Um, especially if the Leafs have have more success in the playoffs than they have so far, um, Gilman's really interesting because he hadn't he left the Canucks front office I think twenty fifteen so it's been three years. Um, he's been in the running for a bunch of GM jobs and that's what he wanted. Um, I think Arizona, Vegas, and Carolina all talked to him. I think those are the ones. Um, Great guy. I, I've talked to Gilman quite a few times um, at the drafts. Often I would talk to him at, yeah, at the wall. You know, you go to the wall on the floor. Right? I hate that thing. Well, I like it in that if you can get one-on-ones with some
0: interesting people like Lawrence Gilman, I can't remember what draft it was. I talked to him at. It just feels too like people probably don't know what the hell this is, but it feels like paparazzi, right? And we're like, so, cra- what
1: it is is that during the draft? Um, they split the ice into they put up a big barrier at like the one blue line like a huge barrier that we can't get across as the media. And we're stuck on the other side with like where our seats are. And then the floor that you see on TV with all the teams and tables and whatever, they're on the other side of that barrier. And then, so for us to talk to the GMs or uh, anyone with the team, the director of hockey ops or scouting director or whatever, we have to go over this like big barrier that's up and like reach over. And you have to like stand on like a platform to get over to, It's, it's weird, but you get I love the draft cuz you get access to like everyone in an organization is there every agent is there everyone in the whole league is there I'm upset that I'm not going to be going this year but the athletics going to have like 23 people at the draft in Dallas and it's going to be the coverage is going to be unbelievable we've been working on planning it for the last like month and it's going to be outstanding um but anyway so that, that's where I first talked to Gilman face to face and I was just really really impressed he's uh got a, a law degree Uh, from North Dakota, I believe. Uh, He's from Winnipeg. Just a really smart guy. Hmm. And in the story I did on Gilman, I talked to Mike Gillis, who obviously he worked under in Vancouver for a long time. And Gillis, who also has a a law background, said he just, he met him at some of the Board of Governors meetings when when Gilman was working for Phoenix uh, at the time. And and, uh, when Gilman said when he got the, uh, uh, when their names are so similar, when Mike Gillis got the Vancouver job, Uh, Gilman was was looking for work and he knew that that's the guy he wanted to hire just because Mm -hmm. he thought they were like-minded and he thought he was so bright. And uh, the thing that people should know about Lawrence Gilman is he's not afraid to challenge convention. He's an older guy. He's 53, I think. And he's been in the NHL uh, with either the Coyotes or the Canucks for 18 years in a high-ranking capacity. Mm -hmm. But he's someone who really thinks outside the box. He's someone, he likes analytics. He likes... um, making unique trades. He likes, you know, one of the things I think they did pretty well in Vancouver, if you look back at is they didn't have a lot of bad salaries on that team that went to the final that year. They Mm -hmm. did a pretty good job of paying people what they were worth or less than what they were worth. Like if you look at the contracts the Sedins were on, they were very reasonable. Um, That's what I think about Gilman. I I don't know. What's your take on?
0: Well, so what it represents to me, we know Kyle Dubas is a big baseball fan and what happened in baseball, like a long time ago, I don't know how many years ago, but they just yeah. started 10, 10 ish, maybe a little longer than 2002 that. was Moneyball, So that's like 15, whatever. So that was the very beginning. Yeah. But what, what they started doing is they just had front smart or smart front offices instead of feeling like we need to hire former players or like you just hired smart people, even if they played or not. And obviously none of these guys have played at a high level, but they've all been in hockey and they're all smart. Do you know who played the highest level of those three guys? Gilman played at North Dakota. Was it Pridham?
1: Yeah, I don't think Gilman did play at North Dakota. No, he went to North Dakota? Yeah, he was a lawyer there. No, Pridham Pridham played one game of Junior A, I think, and he hurt his shoulder and and couldn't play. So he had an injury just the same. Dubas had an injury, and he couldn't play.
0: But so that's like a change in thinking that... The way it's been in hockey forever is, like, we need to have a former player. And, like, the GMs just kind of rotated in and out of jobs because they had all played. And Have you seen those
1: charts where it shows, like, GMs of teams in the four major league sports and, like, what percentage of them were players and which percentage of them weren't? The NHL one is way different than the other three sports. I
0: think I did a story on this when John Chico was hired, just on how the other sports of like, this isn't even a thing. But in hockey, it's still, like, we need to hire former players. And... I don't know like why why can't you just get you, you need smart people with the how complicated some of this stuff is
1: the other thing too and i gotta be delicate with the way that i say it is that hockey players often don't get any secondary education like most I mean, this of them, stuff is
0: really hard right
1: well look at the look at we talked for half an hour about the nylander bridge versus like that is so complicated the all, it's like you need
0: projections and you need math and you need. I finance. would be using some
1: big computer to like come up with like what makes the most sense and like what's the risk on each deal. And I'm, I'm sure the Leafs probably they got a lot of eggheads in the front office now that even before they brought in Gilman they did pencil necks. <laughs> no eggheads, pencil neck. What's is, the difference? Pencil neck is like nerd. Egghead is like very smart. Egghead means like you're like got a giant brain. Oh, huh? dog calls you a pencil neck. That's a that's an insult. That that means you're a dweeb. I don't care what he thinks.
0: (laughs) But so, like, some of the (laughs) we still got to get him on the podcast this summer. We got to get O'Donnell. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, But so, some of the idea kind of circles back to that with Mark Hunter, in that how can you lose this guy who's like a scout and like you need to have a scout in your front office? Is that maybe a perception that's just not true generally that it's required?
1: So I talked to some assistant GMs and GMs about what's the normal structure of a front office and like some people around the league were surprised because they looked at Gilman as kind of a capologist kind of guy. And that's how they see Pridham as well. Uh, Dubas in the, when you talking to him, he doesn't see, he doesn't see Pridham as only a capologist. Cause he said he's, he had a lot of, he did a lot of work in the scouting side in the, in the NHL, which hardly ever gets talked about. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't see Gilman as only a capologist because Gilman's run AHL teams before he's, he's done like a, Gilman has done a lot of things a lot I mean he's been in all kinds of different roles for 18 years in the NHL um, there's a reason why the NHL picked Gilman to be the guy that designed the expansion draft mm-hmm. um, for the Vegas expansion because they just really respect his understanding of the CBA and all those things so what Dubas did instead of wanting a head scout in an assistant GM role which is kind of weird is he got two really bright people that understand the cba and understand the cap really well which i think mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense because you can hire a head scout who just focuses on scouting and you don't do
0: have those things like dave right. morrison is their director of pro scouting and now they'll just need a director of amateur scouting right right well
1: they have the existing i can't pronounce his name jim pala paliafito paliafito is their head of player acquiring or whatever they call it it's like- it's like a weird name.
0: Yeah. Um, Personnel.
1: So if Dubas wants to go a different direction with the scouting department, which I think he probably is going to, there's going to be some changes there and who's there. There's potentially going to be some changes in who's at the top of that pyramid. But that that's amateur scouting. That is contained in amateur scouting. It does not. You do not necessarily need an amateur scout to be an assistant GM. Most of the time, this is the way it was explained to me. Is the pro scouting people are more connected to the AGMs than the amateur scouts? If that makes sense, yeah. it makes sense because the pro scout side is in fact impacting directly your NHL lineup. Like if you're going to make a trade, you talk to your pro scouts about what does this AHL player look like, what does this NHL player look like. So um, probably Gilman will be he'll not only be handling the Marlies, he'll also be very connected to the pro scout side. Which you said Dave Morrison's at the top. I think that I think that's correct because he moved from amateur to the pro side
0: so that anyway that was like it's like those guys are focused on the now and the amateur guys are focused on the later basically and mark connor was basically focused on the later while also being the agm and if you think about it it's probably not the greatest
1: setup in the world to have your agm be a scout because scouts are often never around they're like always somewhere else scouting i mean i guess Like, the Leafs probably made Hunter an assistant GM because that's the only way they could get him was by giving him a senior title and senior pay. I
0: don't think that was his title to start. I think that that changed. I know that it wasn't. They moved him up, yeah. Yeah, and promoted him to, like, the same level as Kyle. Right. Same pay. Hmm. So I've heard. (laughs) So we're moving on? All right. I think... Is there anything else you want to mention about this? But, like, this just ties into... I mean, you look at Kyle Dubis. Also, a guy who's done other roles in hockey, but hasn't played, but like he's done like everything else. He's been an agent, he's been a scout, like he's been a GM.
1: Oh, yeah. Read your story. Read Jonas' the story about Kyle Dubas. Yeah.
0: Thank you. All right. <laughs> um, Toronto
1: Marlies, Calder Cup final. Um, they look like they're going to steamroll their way. I don't know the Texas Stars
0: that well, but they have some
1: veteran guys, I guess.
0: I haven't seen many things like this where a team wins. What is it, nine in a row to get to the Calder Cup final? Yeah. Like back to back sweeps like that. Well, the Marlies were a massively talented team
1: without Dermot and Andreas Janssen. Right. Like, it's
0: like you're adding two NHL players. I mean, I
1: guess Janssen was only out of the with the Leafs for like the last ten games of the year or whatever, but even still, like putting Dermot in and they have the Marlies have such a wealth of talent that like you look at like your their third D pair or like their third forward line, it's like that's those are some pretty
0: damn good players. So, okay, but let me contest that a little bit. Beyond like a handful of guys, it's not like we look at this prospect pool and say like it's overflowing with talent. That's not what I'm saying, though. I'm saying like at the AHL level, oh, they're okay. very talented. I'm Fair. Not,
1: I'm not saying that this Marley's team necessarily is going to produce like a crazy number of NHL players.
0: But there are some NHL players there. Obviously, Andreas Johnson Travis Dermott, Garrett Sparks. I would assume would get a shot next year, potentially, likely. Uh, who else am I missing? Carl Grunstrom in a couple years. I don't know. There's some guys in there that. They got a can bunch play. of fringe
1: guys, too. Like, I don't know about, like, maybe a Trevor Moore or. Uh,
0: well, uh, we still don't know about Borgman. Borg. Or,
1: yeah, Borgman's a good one. Yeah.
0: But, the, like, I think one of the interesting things about this Altonen. Altonen. Yeah. Is they've managed to be. This is what Shanahan said at Kyle Dubis' press conference. How he was impressed with Dubas is they've managed to develop players who are helping the Leafs and also be like a really good AHL team. And like you look at some of the successful organizations in hockey, and this is kind of the thread that they've been able to weave? Or what's the saying?
1: Well, you want to have like, you want to have lots of talent and you want to, I mean, like, if you're developing a really good minor league system, the team probably should be winning as well. The whole AHL has gone very young in recent years. Like, there's not—teams are much less interested in having more than three or four veteran guys.
0: It's just such a change from, like, when I first started covering the Leafs. The Marlies had nobody. And they were a bunch of old guys, right? Yeah. And, like, the only guy, like, when I first started, like, it was like they only had Yuri Toulusti to call up. There was, like, nobody else. And now, like, hockey has changed where, like, you need to have, like, a lot of guys. And, like, I think Tampa's a good example that not only do they have guys that they can call up and who can actually play, is, like, they have these extra guys' prospects that they can trade.
1: All on entry-level deals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what people underestimate, the people that are skeptical of, of the Dubas promotion or hiring as GM or whatever you want to call it, his connection to the AHL and his understanding of how the AHL works and how player development works is so vital now with the way the league is. And Mm -hmm. like the Leafs have their superstars up front that we just spent all the time talking about. A lot of what's potentially going to determine how good they're going to be is how well they can find more pieces in the draft and and through the AHL system. And having a GM who is super well-grounded in that and has built one of the best AHL teams ever, like you look at the record that the Marlies have, it's one of the best AHL teams ever, I think that that's that's a win for the Leafs and um was I saw Todd Crocker who who covers the Marlies on a day-to-day basis he tweeted something the other day was something like the Marlies have played in like 17 rounds or something in the last 7 years or it's like some crazy number like the Marlies have been they've been good for a while but the way that they were good before Dubas got there was kind of with some older AHL players and not as many prospects
0: right well because like you get to a certain point where you're just going to recycle those second and third tier guys around your core you know what I mean like yes. Connor Brown Zach Hyman all those guys are eventually going to come up for the next contract and you're just going to have to replace them because you don't want to pay them right? right like and that's and that's the and you're only you have more Connor Browns coming right that's the idea right
1: and if you don't then you run into trouble and you become one of those teams it's like you've got some stars and not enough around them and they can't get it done
0: yeah and Chicago did that really well for a long time yeah well, now they've run into trouble. Wow. Yeah. That's another podcast. I don't know if there's a, a Blackhawks That's
1: There is. Yeah. Is there? Scott Powers has does a he? podcast, yeah. Well, he did one with Brian Hedger for a long time, but then Hedger left to
0: cover Columbus. So maybe he doesn't do it because it's just him now. He can just talk to himself for <laughs> half an hour. All right. Is there anything else you want to mention? I don't know when we're doing another podcast. I guess before the draft sometime. I think we should just keep doing them. I mean, we could do one just about the Marlies next week,
1: maybe. Sure. I'm gonna, we're going to be at the games. And yeah. we come to the game on Saturday? Yeah. And i got a couple stories right. in the works. Yeah. So we should watch the Marlies play these games, and, well, maybe we'll do one next week. Okay. They could potentially, if they win the Calder Cup in five games, it would be decided by a week from Saturday, right? So I think that's when game five is
0: well but they could win in a sweep and it could be decided by thursday, thursday. yeah
1: well if that happens then we'll have a emergency friday podcast
0: <laughs> all right stay tuned for that podcast again brought to you by babsocks go get your babsocks thanks for listening thanks for tuning in to the leaf report follow the guys on twitter at jonas siegel and at
1: myrtle